These later years of childhood have been flying by. As a mom, I want to not just be available to my kids during these last years they have at home, but I want to feel good and have the energy I need to keep up with their schedule and my own. So my health is a top priority. Equilibria is a woman-owned wellness brand with unique science-backed products that help bring your mind and body back into harmony. You're not alone on your wellness journey. Every customer gets one-on-one support to help you meet your goals. EQ's Daily Women's Microbiome Defense is a three-in-one capsule that supports your digestive health and promotes gut barrier protection. A healthy gut positively impacts immunity, mental health, sleep, digestion, and skin health. It helps regulate digestion, immunity against bad bacteria, and improve nutrient absorption. The gut has been called the second brain because it contains more than 100 million nerve cells. It is a vitally important piece to our overall health, both physical and mental. So to make sure my gut is working at its potential, I started taking EQ's Daily Women's Microbiome Defense to improve my digestion and nutrition absorption, boost my overall immune health, and help with sleep and stress as a bonus. Head to myeq.com and use code PARENTING for 15% off Equilibria's microbiome defense and much more. That's myeq.com and use code PARENTING at checkout for 15% off site-wide today. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to the Your Village podcast, Parenting Beyond Discipline. Your Village is the most comprehensive site for evidence-based parenting classes available on demand at yourvillageonline.com. Our 50-plus classes give parents the foundation, steps, and tools for creating strong, healthy relationships with their children, resulting in responsible, cooperative, happy, and successful children and families. My goal is to help parents support their children in finding and reaching their own unique potential. The podcast is a place to learn about all things parenting and get your questions answered. I'm your village founder and your host, Erin Royer. Julie wrote in and had three questions. Now, Julie has the heavy question, so I'm going to cover her first one today. Then I thought it would be good to get into discussing some of the effects on stay at home on our kids, particularly the social emotional development. I've been getting email questions about this and coaching with parents a lot lately. And this is a question that's been coming coming up a lot. They're asking a lot about this, this effect on their children. So I wanna get to some of that, some things we can do. The social emotional effects aren't just our kids, of course. Humans are social creatures, so we're all struggling with it to some degree or another. But parents are especially concerned for their kids who are still developing their social-emotional skills, and they're wondering what long-term effects this can have. Now, for us adults, I am seeing a few things starting to open up here and there. If you live somewhere that's safely been able to open up some things, especially outdoor things, I hope you're able to get out and enjoy some new scenery, both for you and for your kids. It gives me some more feelings of anticipation and excitement to see some people are getting out to enjoy some parts of their lives like they were before. 
Now we're still mostly in timeout over here on the West Coast, but the skate park just opened up, so that's new, that's exciting, something I can take my kids to. They're talking about July 1st for us to open up our next stage here in Los Angeles, but we just had a big jump yesterday again, so I'm just trying to be patient over here. So just a few little things here and there, but our kids aren't necessarily seeing this. They're just seeing the day-to-day. They don't know what's happening. They can't see this. So, you know, they're still kind of steeped right in this. So we'll talk about how to support them through this and make sure that to what degree we can, we can support their social, emotional development and well-being. But let's get to Julie's question. The first one from Julie that I will cover today and the next I will cover next week. She wanted to know about talking to kids about death, and here's what she wrote. I have a couple of questions I'd love to hear answered on the podcast. I don't think you've covered this topic yet, and if you have, please direct me to the episode. I'd like to hear your suggestions on how to talk to kids about death. My daughter turned three in November, and I've heard her talking more and more about things being dead, such as a bug that isn't moving, her stuffed animals, things being dead during play, etc., The other day in the car, out of nowhere, she asked me, is Dada going to die? What? Where did this come from? Okay, I may know what sparked it. The day before, we were at a friend's for dinner, and there was a seven to eight-year-old girl talking to my daughter about how their dog had died. I didn't think much of it until she asked me this question about Dada dying. We aren't religious, so she's never heard us talk about God, heaven, etc. So I told her that, yes, one day Dada would die. Everyone dies at some point. Then she asked that favorite three-year-old question, why? How do you answer why people die? It's an ambiguous question that could be taken a lot of different ways, and any way you take it, how do you explain it to a three-year-old without freaking them out? At one point, she asked me, when I die, I won't be able to play anymore? My heart ached at this question. I had no idea how to answer. I began to see how having heaven or something similar to talk about would be easier and more comforting. I simply told her that no one knows for sure what happens to us after we die. Some people believe we go to a place called heaven, and some people don't believe that. We don't know for sure. And of course, I got the why question again. My grandmother is in her 90s and currently isn't doing very well. I'm afraid we will need to have the discussion with our daughter pretty soon, and I just don't know what to say or what to avoid saying. On that note, I've heard it's not a good idea to say that the person went to sleep and never woke up because that could cause a lot of fear and anxiety around sleeping. I'm also hesitant to say anything about how someone who is really old dies. She's gotten caught up on this notion of things being old and that being a problem. She's mentioned that she's afraid of getting old because she will start to break or something similar. I'm pretty sure she got this idea from us saying that this or that doesn't work anymore because it's old. I know we need to be truthful with her, but I'm not sure what words to use. Any help you can provide on this is greatly appreciated. This is such a great question and such great insights from a three-year-old. Kids are just, they're so incredible. They're so innocent. They see things from such a different way without all this tainted stuff that they get from us or that we've gotten You know, it's hard when our kids ask us these questions and make observations that we're not quite equipped to deal with. Some of you may remember an episode a while back where I did talk a bit about talking to kids about death when I shared the experience of having to put our dog Lexi down after her fight with pancreatitis. Now, I repeat some of that in there as it pertains to this, but also, I, get, I want to get more into ways to talk about death with kids that addresses Julie's questions specifically. 
I believe in that episode, I shared about how kids view death by age, particularly young children, but I'm going to cover that again as a reminder and a refresher for those who didn't hear the episode or for those, it's been a while, so for those who didn't remember, I think that one was back in December. So before the age of six, children see death as impermanent, like a cartoon, so they expect the person or the animal will spring back to life. Now, this is also why when young kids talk about killing when they play war or other such games or say, I'm going to kill you, they don't realize what they're saying. They do not understand that death is a permanent state. And so they see it much more lightly and playfully than those of us who understand the permanence of death, how we take it. They also likely do not understand the sadness around death. When they ask why you're upset for the umpteenth time, they aren't being rude or just not listening. Or it's not that they didn't care about the person or the animal. They truly do not understand the permanence of death. They will often ask, when is grandpa coming back? Or when will grandpa wake up? Also, just like Julie mentioned, it's common at three, this is about the age, where kids start noticing things like flowers, trees, birds, and insects that are dead, that they're not moving, and they start asking questions. Some kids won't ask any questions. Some kids will ask lots of questions. This gives a great opening to the discussion of death in age-appropriate ways. So I'm going to talk about some general guidelines first around talking about death with kids, especially really young kids. First, you just want to get comfortable with talking about death. This is hard for a lot of adults. Death is one of those tough subjects for most of us. It's uncomfortable. We don't want to scare kids. We don't know exactly what to say or not to say, but we need to be okay talking about it. Death is a natural life process. Everyone is going to die. Every animal, every human is going to die. So the sooner we get used to this and we help our kids get used to it, the easier and the better. Because we want to send a message to our kids that it's okay and actually healthy to talk about death, to ask questions, to share stories about our loved ones, to remember them in that way, to share our feelings of fear, of anger, of sadness, of guilt, sometimes even relief and happiness if the person was suffering. All feelings around death are valid and accepted. You want to be ready to talk about death at any time. It may not even be a relative or a family pet that we see getting older or weaker or sicker that brings up these questions. Questions around death can come from many places. A news story, a dead animal on the road, a friend's family member that passes away. As Julie noticed, potentially a friend's dog that passed away. These things can happen anytime. So if you're prepared to discuss death and answer questions, it won't catch you by surprise. And Julie hit this right on the head too. You don't want to use euphemisms. You want to steer clear of using terms like sleep, eternal rest, rest in peace, or went away. This can instill fear in children around going to sleep or when you leave them that you may not come back. You know, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, I'm going to talk more about tips for navigating conversations about death and then move on to talking about the effects of this stay-at-home order on our kids, especially on their social-emotional development and health, how to support that development and their social-emotional health despite a lack of the opportunity for the interactive play to develop their skills like they and we are used to them getting with their peers. To me, there is nothing more important than my family's health and well-being. We all know the quality of the air in our home is important. But did you know indoor air quality can be up to 100 times dirtier than outdoor air? 
I've got to tell you about Puro Air. In 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, dander, and gases from the room. Puro Air uses a stronger filter called a HEPA-14 that filters pollutants at a microscopic level and is backed by scientists from Harvard and MIT. In laboratory studies, users saw noticeably cleaner air in just 30 minutes. When it comes to babies and children, there's nothing worse than dealing with a cranky baby or child who can't sleep because of congestion. Air purifiers can help reduce congestion and improve immune system function to fight those winter colds and flus. I use my Puro Air purifiers to clean the air in my home, especially in our bedrooms while we sleep. It has a quiet, relaxing hum and cleans the air from pet dander, allergens, viruses, dust, mold, odors, and contaminants. It has four levels, low, medium, high, and sleep, and four different timer options so you can customize it to your home and your needs. Check out Puro Air at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T. P-U-R-O-A-I-R dot com. Puro Air is the only air filter that uses a HEPA 14 filter. That's getpuroair.com. This episode is sponsored by By Heart. By Heart is an infant nutrition company whose mission is simple. Make the best formula in the world. Using the latest in breast milk science, By Heart created a clinically proven, easy-to-digest infant formula that's made with organic, grass-fed whole milk, certified clean ingredients, and features a patented protein blend that gets closest to breast milk. Our blend includes the most abundant protein found in breast milk, alpha-lac, as well as lactoferrin, the number one protein found in colostrum, along with broken down, partially hydrolyzed proteins. By Heart is an easy-to-digest formula. In addition to its patented protein blend, our formula includes prebiotics and an 80-20 whey-to-casein ratio like in early breast milk, which is tailor-made for a newborn's digestive system. BiHeart is the only U.S.-made infant formula to use organic, grass-fed whole milk, not skim. Curious about BiHeart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com slash podcast with the code parenting for a limited time. Additional terms and conditions apply. Now that we're back from the break, here are some more tips for talking to kids about death. You want to use opportunities in daily life. It's easier to talk about death when we're less emotionally involved. So when opportunities in daily life arise, use them. You can talk about the death of flowers, trees, insects, when they see it and point it out. Children may want to inspect the dead object, and they may ask detailed questions about what happens to dead things. Also, death of prominent people is often an entry point to discussing death because children will hear about it through friends and the media. This is a child's natural curiosity. Do the best you can to answer the questions and show that it's a subject open for discussion. And this isn't just important for the discussion of death but it sends the message that all tough subjects that you're available to talk about with your child when they come later on, relationships, friendships, drinking, drugs, sex, alcohol. You want to be that person they come to for these tough subjects. And for a lot of us parents, it's going to start with some of these talks around death. With really young kids, you need to be very concrete when explaining death. You want to let them know that when flowers die, they'll no longer bloom. Trees won't make new leaves. Insects can't walk or make honey or weave webs. 
Okay, a spider is technically not an insect, but you get the idea. For people, people won't breathe, eat, talk, think, or feel anymore. You want to be careful and clear about the reasons. So saying something like Uncle Joe got sick can lead to fear around getting sick or when a parent gets sick or they get sick. But saying Uncle Joe died because his heart was very old and just stopped working. I know Julia had some things about the old piece of it, but that's okay. Things do get old. That is what happens. They get old and they do start to fall apart. And you can guide your daughter through that conversation about how old is a very long time away. She has a very long life ahead of her. And so do you and so does your husband. And this is your your grandmother, so her great-grandmother, that even her grandma and grandfather, if they're still alive or one or both of them, that they have a long time left. And this is where we explain that death is a part of life. People generally live a long time. They get to see and do so much over their entire lifetime. But the time comes eventually when their bodies do wear out, and death is a part of that. All living things will die eventually, and while we will miss that person dearly, sometimes when they can't do all the things they used to when they were young, when their bodies hurt or they can't walk very well or move or they can't think very well, they can't do things for themselves like they used to, We can actually feel happy or relieved for them, knowing they enjoyed so much of their lives, but their bodies don't hurt anymore and they don't hold them back. Now, these are all very personal and personal beliefs, but you want to share what's in your heart in a way that your child can, to whatever degree possible, understand at their age. I, just like Julie, I believe that we don't have the answers to what happens when we die, and we shouldn't expect ourselves to have all the answers. One of the things I talk about with our kids is that what matters is what we do right now, today, how we treat our friends, how we make the world a better place, how we take care of people who are hurting, how we give people things when they're sick or they need our help. It's what we do today that matters because we just don't know what happens after we die. Now, I have my own personal beliefs and I talk about that and I'll get to that in a second, but you know, people grapple with the idea of death and have since the beginning of mankind. Animals grieve death, you can see it. I've seen it in pets when one of my pets dies and leaves one behind. I've seen it in mama animals when one of their babies dies, when they're killed by a predator or something else. You can see that they're very sad. They suffer a loss also. Different cultures and spiritual beliefs teach all different kinds of things about death and the spirit. But share what's in your heart, what feels right for you. Heartfelt honesty is what kids need from us. When our dog passed away, my oldest son asked me what happens to dogs when they die. Now, this was a few days later after he'd been able to process some of it. He asked me what happens. And I said, which is my personal belief to him, was that no one really knows for sure. But I have my own beliefs and I asked him if he wanted to know what I think. I shared this with him and then I let him know. Now, keep in mind, he was 10, so he's got a, at the time. So he's developed some pretty good cognitive abilities for some deeper thinking, deeper ideas. I said that as he got older, he will probably form his own ideas about what felt best to him or made the most sense to him about death. And that's part of life is figuring those things out for ourselves. So Julie, um, I hope that that was a really helpful start on how to start talking to your daughter about death. We have completed the class on children and death, and it is up on the website now. So if this is a topic you're grappling with, you're getting questions about, or you just want to be prepared when you get these questions, or you potentially have someone in your family or a pet who's starting to get older and you know that this may be a conversation coming soon, 
you might want to check out that class. I cover death by age all the way up through teens, how to support kids through the grieving process, how and when to have kids involved in services and to what degree, what types of things to look out for if they're really struggling. So that is up on the website at yourvillageonline.com. So let's talk about the concerns and effects of stay-at-home on our kids as it relates to their social, emotional health and development. Now, just to reiterate the unfolding of social development, and I've touched on this many times in many different ways and aspects and different episodes, and of course, cover it really in depth in the development classes, your developing infant, toddler, and preschooler on the website, but with all the ins and outs and ways to support this development. But as a refresher, kids' social development really kicks in right around three to three and a half. There is a big push, a big explosion. It blossoms during the time from three to about five. Kids are learning to communicate ideas and needs, cooperate and integrate their ideas with others' ideas during this cooperative play. When they make up games, they make up the rules. When they do imaginative play and work together to weave a story, they learn to work out differences and disagreements about how the game will be played, the rules of the game, how the storyline will ebb and flow, or what the castle will look like when it's finished, what sections are for which animals. These are big important skills and building blocks for further development. So the stresses of what's happening right now is going to be different for each child and family, depending on so many factors. Only children and their parents in this social age range and beyond are likely going to have a particular struggle. For kids in elementary age, yes, they miss their friends. It's hard, and that social development is continuing through those ages. But that big push, that big explosion is now complete. Now it's fine-tuning. So we've had some teary days in our house. Yesterday, my daughter got to play a game online with her friends while they chatted, and this was new for her. She hasn't gotten to do much of this. The boys are online playing games with their friends because they did it before. But for my daughter, it was in-person friendships. So she got to do this yesterday, and it did a world of good for her socially, just even getting online to talk to her friends or her classmates during those online class sessions are huge for her. But it also seemed to make her miss her friends even more. It was just a reminder for her that she hasn't talked to this friend in a while, that she hasn't connected with this friend, that she really misses this friend. And so she was pretty teary last night about it. So psychologists have been studying the effects of all aspects of this crisis on our kids. And while studies do take time to sift and sort through data and reach the conclusions, there are some things we know there's some things we're still learning along the way. And I'm gonna keep my eye on this research as it goes through the process and the rigors of proper data collection and conclusions drawn from that data. And I will share it as it comes out. But I'm gonna share what we know for now. So how do we help our kids through this? And what, if any, are the long-term effects? Let's start with some good news. So first, for parents with kids of two or under, and two or under, I mean almost three or under, even if they're just reaching three, there isn't really a concern for their social development at this point because this age, toddlers are really barely noticing other kids. Yes, they'll giggle. They'll maybe chase each other around a bit. They might sit side by side. We call it parallel play. They'll sit side by side or sit near each other. They might hand each other a block or hand each other something when they ask for it, but they're not really integrating their play together. They're not making up a story together, working together to create something different than they would create separately. That comes at 
early on at three and really starts to explode at three and a half to four and a half to five. So more good news is that this so far has been relatively short term. We've only been two months, two and a half months for most of us, even a few more months and kids can and will catch up socially. What I'm really keeping my eye on and will be wanting to know and help parents with is if this keeps going on six months a year, even with kids being able to go back around their peers in schools, but they have to social distance for that amount of time, how do we help them circumvent these effects at that point or over that amount of time? Now, school does look like it will happen for many in the fall. For those who have to or choose to send their kids, they will be back around their peers, but it will look pretty different for a while. For now, what can we do? What do our kids need? For kids three to five who are craving the interactive play, this is a call for parents to weigh out and make your own decision for your individual families. All kinds of factors will come into play for you. It's going to depend on if you're considered high risk, someone in your family is high risk, you're weighing in how exposed any of your family has been or other families that you might connect with have been. You're going to do a benefit risk analysis. And it may be that a distancing play date once a week with a friend whose parents are also at home full time is worth it for your child's social emotional well-being. You're going to set up your comfort level with that other parent or set of parents. I recommend if you do to always have it outside. So the studies are showing the virus spreads much less easily outside for many reasons. You want to talk to your kids ahead of time of the importance of the distancing, reminding them not to touch their face or hands. Really, you know, these are all good habits we're going to have to get into practicing anyway as we head back out into the world. So these are really good opportunities to practice. You're going to bring sanitizer. You can even set a timer for your child to sanitize their hands every 10 to 15 minutes. You can set up games and activities they can do that are all but guaranteed. Can't guarantee anything with little kids, but distancing physical activities hopscotch, you can put hoops on the ground, they jump from one to the other, um, drawing with chalk on the ground, they love that, just put them apart six plus feet. They can draw onto the ground, what are you drawing, what are you drawing? Maybe they can even combine their pictures at separate times, like there's kind of a line where they meet, one draws up to the line and then moves back and the other draws up to the line and moves back, let's make them combine. There's a lot of things you can do here to help your kids connect without needing to be physically close to each other. You can create some type of obstacle course where they're not racing each other or anything, but where they're each doing different parts of the obstacle course at different times. Again, you want to make sure they're not touching their face or that you're keeping them clean, maybe between the sections. Riding toys. You know, they bring their own bikes. They bring their own, for younger kids, just the balance bikes or the tricycles, that type of thing. Those We call it a helicopter. It's a little thing you sit on and, and you move the front of it. It's really low to the ground. My kids love that thing. Um, you want to let the kids make up a game, but part of the rules have to be about making sure there's distancing and part of it, but they still get to negotiate the rules of a game. They still get to practice the opportunity to share ideas and cooperate, just not in physical close proximity. You can do the same for older kids. So we've done this. A few driveway playdates will have one other child or two from the same family over at a time who we know are also all either working from home or staying at home during this time and are only going out for necessary outings. 
The kids will skateboard, they played cornhole, they ride bikes and scooters. They get to see their friends and it really makes a difference. You can see the whole difference in their attitude, in their face, in their body, in their demeanor. We adults set really good examples. We sit eight or more feet apart. We wear our masks. We won't allow any kids into the house. I hate that I have to feel so inhospitable. I hate having people over and not being able to offer food or snacks or let kids come into the house, but everyone really understands this right now and they're just happy to see each other. So the day of and the day after these play dates, the kids are just elated and it just makes such a difference. And we're only doing this about once a week right now and each kid will rotate each week to have a friend over. Probably in the next two weeks, three weeks, a month for sure, we'll start having a few more of these, um, doing them maybe twice a week so each kid gets to see a friend at least maybe once a week. And then you're getting, like I said, you're just getting to practice the new protocols for safety. And so those are really good things to have. Also, when it comes to just supporting their social emotional health, you want to talk with your kids often, how they're feeling, share how you're feeling, ask them about missing friends, ask them about how they miss school, let them talk about it. Tell them you miss your friends too. If you used to go to work, you miss going to work. You miss going out to see your friends. You miss going out shopping. You miss going out to eat or to the gym. I miss the gym. I miss the gym. I'm ready to go back. Not inside. I won't go inside, but I, I would really like to be back in the pool outside. I'm really hoping that opens soon. Tell them that you're all getting through it. Tell them they're doing great when they're doing great. Not when they're melting down over it, obviously, but... Kids are doing really great. I've, kids are really resilient and they're really coping well from what I've seen and from the parents I've talked to. Their kids are doing really amazing. And so, you know, parents are doing a great job leading their kids through this right now. So tell them that. Tell them how great they're doing. Tell them you're there to talk about it anytime. Help them reach out to friends when and how they can. The younger kids aren't going to be able to get much out of a FaceTime call, but older kids do five, six, and up. So help them be able to reach out to their friends, even just on video chat. It really does brighten their mood. And as we move forward into a less than perfect normal at the beginning of the school year, and I'm sure many of you will probably decide to keep your kids home for a while, for the first semester, maybe for the year, and that's totally understandable. I've told my kids that when they do return, it will be different for a while so that they're prepared. They're just excited to go back. I don't know that they even care about all the rules so that they'll know what they are, they'll be prepared, and they'll know it isn't permanent, but that it could possibly be for a year. You want to help them celebrate the positives of getting to connect with friends and schoolmates when they do and how and to what degree they're able to and, and to the degree that your family also feels comfortable. Stay safe and healthy, everyone, and as always, if you have a parenting question you'd like answered, send an email to podcast at yourvillageonline.com. Thanks for listening and see you next week. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. 
Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.